I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, I got a couple emails from people and a couple reviews, and I wanted to share those with you. Regarding the name change on the podcast, I mentioned it uh, in the last episode that I'd changed the name of the podcast to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond. And that was a suggestion from one of my listeners, and I took it. I did get a couple comments regarding that. Uh, one from Eric Wainwright, who wrote that I think you ought to just keep the name. I'm just going to paraphrase what he wrote. He said, I think you should just keep the name. It's a trademark now. And then I got another one from, well, let me see if I can find out who it was. Uh, you know, I can't find it. I've been looking at my inbox and I don't see it right off the top of my head. But but one of my listeners suggested I just add and beyond. So that's what I did. Also, I got a couple reviews. I have 51 reviews in the iTunes directory now, and I wanted to share those with you. The last two reviews, the first one was from Andrew at SV Gija, or Gija. I'm not sure how you say that. Gija is how I would say it. Anyway, Andrew said, <laughs> fast forward through the annoying metal clanging intro, and you'll find a wealth of great info about cruising, great topics from boat equipment and repair, exotic locations, tales of others' adventures, and much more. Not just about the med, although having my boat in the med is why I started listening. And then uh, from Machete, great sailing podcast. I listen to it at work. I'm a small trailer power boater, but dream about coastal cruising someday. Well, Andrew, uh, you and a couple other comments uh, have prompted me to change the intro, as you've noticed, to eliminate the clanging gate. I like that clanging gate. It's a sound effect that I recorded myself up at the ranch of a, one of our gates closing. So for me, it has good memories, and I just like the sound of it. But obviously, it grates on other people's ears. So <laughs> I changed it. I assume that if two or three people don't like it, a lot of people don't like it, so I shouldn't force my taste down your throats. Uh, at least not if I want to get more listeners, I guess. Got an email from Lewis Volk. Lewis wrote, I just stumbled across Roger Taylor and his refit of Mingling 2. I've watched several of his YouTube videos, but boy, I'd sure like to hear you interview him. I'd like to know what he eats, how he provisions for 100 days at sea, water, etc. I'd also like details about sailing, reefing his junk rig. I'll try to reach out to him. I see a YouTube video, but I did not see a way of actually contacting him from that video. If anybody knows how to get a hold of him, 
let me know. Then I got another email from Nelson Pidgeon. Nelson has written me a few times, and I always appreciate getting those notes from you, Nelson. Thanks a lot. Keep it up. But he wrote, I just wanted to let you know that I've been enjoying your Round the World series with Rory McDougall. Of all the podcast topics I've listened to over the years, these stories are my favorite. Looking forward to hearing about the rest of his trip. Thanks for keeping me entertained. Nelson, thanks for that. Yeah, I'm enjoying talking to Rory, and we seem to try to get together once a week on Tuesday afternoon and talk about his trip around the world. We're just going and talking for about 45 minutes to an hour, and at that point I stop him and I say, Rory, let's talk again next week. And it's not too... Um, it's, it's not too much of a burden on either one of us that way. You may notice that uh, a lot of my podcasts don't seem to be together. For instance, you'll hear Rory talk, and then you'll hear other interviews from other people. And the reason I'm doing that is, is I'm stacking my podcast, trying to get as much content done in a period of time. And, and I just release the podcasts in the order that I conduct the interviews. And right now, I've scheduled out podcasts for about the next month. And so I actually interviewed Jack Andrews back in the uh, middle of December. And you're hearing about this particular podcast. This one's being scheduled to be released out on January 1st. So I will release the podcast in the order that I record them. That may keep you coming back to be seen if the next episode is going to be Rory McDougall, who seems to be... Uh, a favorite for a lot of people. So I appreciate comments, thoughts, suggestions. I really enjoy meeting listeners in the flesh. So if you're coming through Salt Lake to go skiing or visiting or a convention and you have the time, drop me a note, franz1 at medsailor.com. We can go to lunch together. Or if you're going skiing, uh, particularly if you're going skiing at Deer Valley, I'd probably join you for a day of skiing. So I like that. I'm not a cyber person. I'm a real person. So I like real relationships with people. So my quick advertisement, if you want eight free lessons, free audio lessons, sign up for my email list. And that's for the basic keelboat certification. That's going to give you eight of the 16 lessons for the basic keelboat certification. Learn to sail, sailing, learn to sail basic keelboat certification uh, lessons for the ASA 101. But if you really want to learn how to sail, get on a boat and go sailing. But if you like those lessons, you may pay me for the other ones. That's sort of the way I look at it. I may put a Patreon contribute button on the website if anybody has any comments, thoughts, suggestions about that or anything else. Get a hold of me, franz1 at medsailor.com. Now let's get on to the second part of my interview with Jack Andrews. And there's going to be more interviews with Jack later on when we get a chance to talk again. We didn't get very far through his summer in these two interviews. We talked about two hours, and I broke it up into two episodes, and we have a lot more to talk about. I really enjoy talking to Jack. He's a good friend, and and having sailed with him, I, I know exactly what he's like and what a great guy he is. All right, again, drop me notes if you have thoughts or suggestions. And if you have a chance, go into the iTunes directory or the podcast directory of your choice and um, give it a thumbs up, five-star review, write a quick comment. I'd appreciate it. All right. Let's get on to my continuing interview with Jack.
All right, I'm back with Jack Andrews with part two of his adventures this summer in in <laughs> in Europe. So last time we talked, Jack, you were just checking into Umag in Croatia, coming back from sailing in Venice, and uh, we were talking about the check-in procedures and the advantages of uh, of Croatia not being in the Schengen Agreement. So you could actually spend. How long are you allowed then to 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 sail in Croatia without? having to get out of there uh it's three months as, as well so you'd have uh, three months there and then three months back in europe if you wanted to go back to europe then right exactly okay. exactly yeah yeah so yeah so uh we checked into umag and um you know again th at this point in time it's julia myself and the and the kids um and we did one night in umag and we decided to head out and this is going to be our first adventure out of a marina we decided not to spend the next night in the marina we we just sailed down the coast and we found a bay uh, we actually ended up picking up a, a mooring ball so you know it wasn't on anchor um, but yeah it was I think the mooring was in Porek P-O-R-E-C Porek okay. alright um and night was really good. We enjoyed it. Went for a swim. You know, it was all that. Uh, the the dude came out for his money in Porek. You pick up the mooring ball and you turn around and instantly, it's it's almost as though they teleport. Instantly, there's a guy in a Zodiac, like only about 10 meters away, driving up to pick up the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what my experience was in Croatia as well. Exactly that. They're right there. It's like, <laughs> it's like, where did he come from? Because like, you got into this area, you you pick up the ball, and then like, all of a sudden he turn you turn around and he's there. It's like, how did you do that? Um, and you know they've got the, and they've wised up. You know, obviously they they must have had trouble over the last few years collecting money from some people, and they you know they have their little printout. They've got their little card machines. And they've got Port Authority written on the boat, and they've got a badge, and it's all super official now uh, in most of the places. So, you know, there's no more, well, you know, under whose, under whose authority are you collecting money from me? And it's like it's pretty blatantly obvious that they're, that's what they do. Now, but this is um, actually a mooring ball as opposed to anchoring then, right? You actually picked up a mooring, a mooring ball. And is this right outside the marina there that I'm looking at in Porek? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Alec, you know, it was, um, it was pretty good. It, in, we enjoyed it. It wasn't too expensive. I think it cost us, um, now I'm starting to talk about Kuna prices. I think the mooring ball is costing us 200 Kuna. So, so that would have been like about, uh, probably about $20. Okay. All right. For your size boat, not unreasonable then. Yeah. Nah, no, nah, not at all. Now, what about um, now when you went, to, when you'd take your dinghy to shore, I assumed it, was there a dinghy dock that you could tie up to and so forth? No, nothing that sophisticated. So it was like, you know, just tie up where the locals have their boats and go for a walk. So it was pretty, again, that was pretty easy. Um, and, you know, we um, we were sort of getting used to um, working off our own water, our own power. Um, this is sort of what we're starting to test our systems, and we found that um, 
the boat carries okay so as far as okay i'm going to give you volumes in liters unfortunately but so so we had two we've got about 210 liters of fuel so i guess you want to quarter that to get gallons right so about 50 60 gallons of fuel some 55 gallons of fuel thereabouts okay yeah correct and we've got a stern water tank that uh, has about the same about 60 gallons of water in that one and then there's another water tank on the in the bow and that one is smaller it is it is probably about um 30 gallons um and it had actually been replaced it's a stainless steel tank whilst the one in the stern is plastic okay. uh, so anyway so so this is like a, a test for us sort of seeing what we're going to do on anchor so you know concerned about how much water we're going to use and we we're going to stay out and do some more nights out but um as it turned out the next day we actually went back to umag um because the anchor light went out and we had to go we had to go and replace it so um so now having said that you know it's, it wasn't a case of the fact that we were going to put our light on on the mooring ball although it seems to be the case that most people in europe do that for some reason did you, did you see that like on a regular basis when you're out because everyone seems to like turn their anchor light on even if even if they're on a mooring ball well there might be a reason for that and i'll tell you the reason i would put an anchor light on if i was on a mooring ball not because i'm required to but if i'm going to shore in a dinghy, finding your boat in the middle of the night is a lot harder than you think it is, and you probably found that out later <laughs> on. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, that helps, definitely. So, yeah, anyway, so everyone seems to do it, so there you go. But um, uh, where were we? So, yeah, so the we headed back to Umag the following night and then back out, and we started to go further south. And as far as water was concerned, we found that, the 300 odd liters of water that we had on the boat was lasting us about four days if we're conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got six people on the boat right now, seven people on the boat. No, just the five of us. Okay. So three kids, three kids, Julia and I. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So four four nights, probably five out of that. Um, obviously, fuel's not a problem because you don't use that much. Um, Storing trash <laughs> is a big issue. So it's a funny thing. You know, you have to find spots in the villages for it. So we, we found that to be an issue. But our biggest problem was uh, our batteries. So the boat only came with, um, had a house bank that was set up with two, with two 120 ampere hour batteries. So we had 240 ampere hours as our house batteries. And of course, Julia and I are both heavy computer users. <laughs> um, you know, phones, computers, uh, the kids' iPads and so forth at night, uh, lights. And so we struggled with battery power. And that's something that's on, on the list for us to change this season is that we're going to probably add some extra batteries in, but we're also going to pick up a small portable generator, um, probably, a, you know, to 2000 watt Honda type. Yeah, that Honda is yeah. a perfect generator for that. They're quiet and uh, and it's a perfect if you got the room to store it. That's a great generator for it. The Honda in uh, what is it? The Square Wave or whatever it's called, but uh, they're very very quiet. 
So that'd be a great yes. one. Yes. Yeah. And um, I mean, we thought about, you know, it'd be nice to put a wind generator on it and, you know, wind turbine on it. Um, it'd also be nice to get solar on it. But by the time you do all that, and if you're not sure if you're going to keep the boat for more than a couple of years, it just becomes very expensive to to add that on. Because um, you have to and time and time consuming because you have to get the framework built up. And you're not going to get the amp hours out of that either. I mean, you're going to take a long time to charge up a battery, and you're probably still using more electricity than you're generated, even with solar and uh, and a and a, a wind a wind generator. So, where that two thousand yeah. watt uh, Honda generator, that's going to charge up your batteries relatively fast. So you can turn yeah, it on I, and I think, turn it off. So exactly, I think it's something that you end up running for half an hour, um, and. The cost of one of those is, you know, fifteen hundred dollars. It's it's not a lot, and and it's certainly no time spent building a frame, <laughs> and and running wires and, and the whole. So it's I know it's not the greenest thing to do, um, but certainly at this point in time, it's probably it's what we will be doing uh, for this next season. Um, now, so yes, let, that's. What, let me ask you: Do you have air conditioning on the boat? No, we don't. No, no, the the boat doesn't have. Whilst it has some ducting for it, there is no there's no air conditioning or heating on the boat. Um, so, you know that's something that um, later on we had to resolve with a little electric heater, especially when we um, found ourselves in Montenegro in a really cold spell. All right. So yeah. So you're back up to Umag fixing the uh, anchor light. You didn't think of just getting a spare one to hang up in the cockpit then, instead of climbing to the top of the mast and changing the anchor light, huh? Yeah, no, we didn't, but um, it needed to get done. So, yeah. And we also had problem with our uh, wind instruments, which we ended up having to finally get a cable changed out in the mast, and that was done in Pula, but that was a little bit further down the track, not too far. All right, let's but, continue um, down then. Yeah, so... Um, now, the next place we went was to uh, Ravinia. So you went past uh, Porek again, so you kept going south. You didn't stop at the huge uh, nudist colony on the way down then, did you? We read about it in the 777. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, we read about it in the 777. And, um, and I had heard you talk about it as well. Yeah, I, I, thought, I stopped oh, there, yeah. yeah. I thought, oh yeah, this is the place. <laughs> it's quite funny because we're talking about it. I'm talking to Julia about this, and the kids are around, and they go, "Oh yeah, let's go and check it out." <laughs> <laughs> Marina Vallata, as I'm looking at it on Google Earth, so yeah, I recognize that spot. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yes. Well, um, later on, we had our own experience with uh, with nudists around. And, uh, and don't get me wrong, I don't have any issue with nudists at all, but uh, it was quite funny. But uh, we, when we get to that spot, I'll, I'll cover that. But, you know, the, the kids certainly enjoyed uh, the freedom of being able to go for a swim on the back of the boat <laughs> without any bathers. Yeah. Right until the time that Declan found himself in the water swimming naked, and then these two girls on a stand-up paddleboard decided to paddle over and check the boat out. <laughs> at, at which point in time he was like 
swimming around the boat, staying at the opposite end of the boat as they went around the boat <laughs> all the time, <laughs> screaming out, where are they now? <laughs> so, yeah, that was him. But, um, yeah, so we after Porak, yeah, Rovinia. So the uh, – and it's a beautiful place. Yeah, that's um, where I filled up. I, 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 they had a fuel dock there, and I filled up, and I call it Rovinjay, but you call it Rovinia. Okay, well, you're probably correct because I could never figure out the pronunciation. And, uh, uh, I'm not sure if I'm getting it right either, but we both know the place we're talking about, I guess. Yeah, so I was able to fill up fuel there on the north side, and then I went around to the, uh, the areas where the marinas are, and there's a lot of marinas in that area, a lot of places to moor your boat. Which one did you go to then? Uh, we went to the ACI marina. Um, so yeah, it was, again, it wasn't cheap. Um, and it's sort of some, it's a pattern, right? I mean, you can, you get to an ACI Marina in Croatia and pick up the price list and you'll get all the prices for all the ACI Marinas and there's no negotiation. It's like, you know, that's the printed price. That's the size of your boat. That's how much you're going to pay. And they'll, they'll give you the seasons. Um, and you know, the price varies a little bit, but that's it. Uh, whilst some of the other marinas that are not ACI marinas, you could probably uh, do a little bit of negotiation with. And certainly in Italy, you could negotiate a bit. But uh, the ACI marinas in Croatia, they seem to be, they're the government run ones. And um, that's it. There's no, you know, the person behind the counter is just a receptionist. Yeah, they're just <laughs> they don't, employees. They don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's it. Um, now, having said that, there was one time we had a bit of a medical issue and we were supposed to leave the marina ACI marina and split and they were very nice they said oh look you know you're supposed to leave by this time and it was not so much that we had to leave because we didn't want to pay the extra but they we were actually occupying a space that the charter companies had and and the marina was going to be full um, and they said look you know we'll move you around you can stay there whilst um, whilst you come back from the hospital which was like the cheapest hospital visit we'd ever had uh, in our entire life, anywhere. Um, but that, so we'll talk about that when we get to split. So yeah, Ravinia, that's where they've got that, um, is it the church, right on top of the hill? Um, yeah, so you know, you walk up there and, and it's very picturesque. I mean, not that there's so many picturesque places in Croatia that are on the water, like the, you know, the picturesque old town. Uh, after a while, it's it's almost like it's another picturesque old town right on the water. Um, <clears throat> the water was clear, you know, the water's warm um, all around the region. It was very, yeah, from that, there was no complaints about that. Um, we did find that the marina prices were expensive. We're spending a lot of time in the marinas, mainly because of our power situation. Um, and we also found it difficult to try and buy things whilst we were out and about sailing so you know like trying to pick up a honda generator whilst you're out there it's difficult right there's no car uh like this Ravinia doesn't even have a hardware store that you can, well they you do can you just to. don't know where it is you know you don't have the local knowledge yeah. exactly well you know or it's not in the little pretty town you actually have to go out into the industrial area which might be a 20 minute car drive right or whatever so yeah and um but yeah Ravinia is definitely a, a place to to visit um, and after that, we did a lovely sail downwind. And, you know, you talk about starting north and sailing south, which is the easier way to go. 
um, you know, luckily for us, we started in, you know at the northerly part in Slovenia. Um, and I, off topic here, I just I had a discussion with Jake the other day from Perth. Remember you, you forwarded the details? We, we talked. Yeah, because I remember in the last um, podcast, I think you mentioned to him that you know the further uh, north you start and sail south, it's relatively easy. Um, whilst we did find that there were a few people that were from Trieste and other places in Italy that were then waiting for weather windows and they were stuck trying to go north, <laughs> yep. which obviously is a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they're beating into it. Um, so, yeah, so we sailed down south and we went all the way to Pula. Now, when I say we went to Pula, we didn't go to um, – Pula proper, we went to uh, Marina Veruda, which is just south of Pula. And the reason for that is that it was a much cheaper marina. <laughs> um, and I had I had been there looking at boats earlier on, so um, I sort of knew what to expect. Uh, the only problem you had was that there was a bus ride into Pula, into the city itself. Yeah, I avoided Pula altogether. I never even went into the town, so that's when you got on me there. Yeah, and the Pooler has got a Coliseum in it, which is quite cool. Um, again, it's a nice, nice town. You know, nice to explore and check out. Um, you know, it was, it was, it's definitely very Roman. Um, what else is there? There's, and there is a large charter base out of Veruda, and less so out of Pooler itself. There's an ACI marina in Pooler. And I think it's about a, um, oh, I'd say it's about a half an hour motor from from one side of Pula to the other. If you look at the two different marinas, yeah, it's a big it's a big bay too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So so it is. Uh, it's a decent way to go. Um, <clears throat> so we started to run into the um, the German the German guys hiring boats everywhere. So we we found more. Germans than anything else, any other country hiring um, the charter boats. Yeah, that's and what that's what I found too. Yeah, a lot of Germans come down there. Yeah, I mean simply because I think you know they they enjoy they enjoy sailing, but um, for them it's only a one day to well, as little as five hour trip for some of them. Yeah, I, I avoided so, Pula and went around to Pomer. That's where I headed to. So I went. I, I totally avoided Pula and just sailed all the way around to uh, Palmer, P-O-M-E-R. And uh, did you get to Palmer? We did. Okay. Yes. All right. And and we have yeah we have a story there. Uh, uh, our boat. That's when everything nearly ended for us again, but in a, in a much worse way. Um, but uh, yeah, Pula was great and um, we enjoyed it. They have a lovely swimming pool in Marina Veruta. The kids loved it, and so we, Julie and I, spent some time doing a few things on the boat. It's also where we get we had the line changed for our wind instruments because we, the wind instruments were, or our windex wasn't working at all. Um, and we so at that stage we had that changed, which meant running a new line in the mast. Um, How did you do that? It, did somebody climb up there and feed it down, or did you have a tracer line that went up and down? How did the, how did you do that? 
Yeah, so the it was pretty easy. The old line was there. So um, the guy that came out to look at the instruments, um, who happened to be some guy that used to work for the Croatian or the Yugoslav Navy on submarines, <laughs> and um, he you know, he was up the mast and he ran a new cable down, uh, just pulled it by the old cable, and and fed it through. So that was that was easy, um, and it wasn't. We found that labour was relatively cheap in Croatia, so you know I think that was relatively inexpensive. Materials were were again not too expensive either, but um, the labour was a lot cheaper than we thought it would be, especially when you compare it to the cost of the marinas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I th- I think the sit- situation there is that anything that the German tourists would be doing on a regular basis would be relatively highly priced. And anything that was normal life in Croatia was relatively cheap. Okay. (laughs) So, yeah. So, you know, if you wanted to go out at a restaurant, if you wanted to go into a marina, all that sort of stuff was expensive. But then the whole industry shuts down after six months, you know, as you know. Croatia sort of along the coast. It's designed to open up get maximum value out of their tourist dollar. Uh, the German economy is doing well. They're happy to pay the price. And also those people are only there for a short period of time. They're there for one week, two weeks. Whilst someone's living on a boat, um, you know, the prices are very different for them compared to a one-week holiday. So for us, it was a bit more expensive because we're thinking long-term. Uh, for the Germans, it was like, oh, yeah, that's not expensive because um, <laughs> they were there for a, for a week. Um, so yeah, so we, we had that work done. The kids had a great time in the pool. We enjoyed going to the pool. And then, so you went to, um, Palmer all the way around the corner and up into Palmer. Yeah. Okay. So have you got Palmer on the, on the mm-hmm. Google yep, maps I'm there? I'm looking at right. it. Yep. Okay. So we went around there and we went into, into that area, um, and there is a marina in there as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a okay. very narrow marina. Yes, yes, there is. Hang on, I'm just going to find it myself at the moment. It's, um, but so anyway, so we went in there and we anchored overnight. Uh, not at the marina, obviously, but you know, not too far. It's, it was actually on the other side. So you could see yeah, the, you got the marina on one side. So you've got Palma Marina, and then across on the other side of the bay, there's an anchorage area. Yeah, there's a lot of anchorage areas in that whole big bay in there. So, yeah, there's lots of places to anchor in there. Yeah. Yes. So we had the most fantastic night. It was like the water was warm. It wasn't as clear there because obviously it's a bit inland. Um, but, you know, it was great for a swim for the kids, um, having a relaxing sundowner. It was a beautiful sunset. Um Next morning we wake up and the winds come up and I had set my anchor alarm and I thought, well, the anchor alarm hadn't gone off. It was about time to get up anyway and I could feel that the wind was up and it was the first time that we were out on anchor. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was nervous as, as you would be on your, on your first time on anchor on, on a new boat, but, you know, it wasn't too bad. So I got up. 
And as soon as I got up on deck, the about four minutes later, the anchor alarm started to go off. Because I'm looking around and like, are we dragging? It sort of looks like we're dragging. And the next thing, the anchor alarm goes off. Yes, we're dragging. Um, so, okay, so Julia, let's go up. Let's re-anchor. So we re-anchor. And I'm pulling back, uh, you know, got the boat in reverse, and it's just not digging in. Just the anchor's dragging. So go and pick it up, set it, try and set it again, um, pulling back on it, and still dragging. So go, okay, that's it. Just forget it. The wind's coming up. It's getting rougher. Let's let's bring the anchor up, and let's just go into the marina, and we'll stay at the marina tonight because we're expecting winds. Now. We're expecting strong winds, so we thought, okay, no problem, go into the marina. Before we get a chance to get to the marina, this squall line comes through that bay and absolutely hits us. And we go from something like about 15 knots of wind through to, you know, about 30 knots of wind, 30-something. <laughs> and... You know, I've got another short video of that, but it's absolutely pelting. Visibility's gone down to nothing. We've got this wind. So I go, okay, we can't go into the marina when it's blowing 30 knots. Our anchor's not holding. So I'll just gently power along and um, keep the nose of the boat into the wind until the squall line blows through. So, you know, it should probably be about 20 minutes or so. And we'll then call the marina up, and go into the marina. So the kids are downstairs. They're still in bed. Julia's downstairs out of the rain. I'm in the rain getting... Got, I've got my shorts on and a raincoat. <laughs> and it's pouring down. Visibility, as, as I said, was low. And we'd gone all the way through to... Um, there's a little island. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Premantursky, something like that. Yeah, uh-huh. That tiny so little it, island there, just south of the bay, of the marina there, right? South, yeah, uh, southeast yeah. of the marina, yeah. Yeah, so we're right between the edge of the land there, on that tip of the land where it sort of curves around, and the island. So what, we're, we're north of the island and south of that little point. We're looking across at the wall, that sort of the outside wall of the marina, if, if, you, mm-hmm, if you could mm-hmm. see it at that stage, which we could not, but I could see where the island was. And then all of a sudden, Julia comes running up and says, fire, there's a fire on the boat. Oh. <laughs> and I'm going, what? So anyway, so I'm like, I have no idea what, what she's talking about. So, so I go, immediately I pull the revs down and it's like, okay, we need to, put, we need to drop the anchor because it's coming out of the engine room. Oh, wow. So I put her in neutral turn the engine off, we drop the anchor and I go, oh no, you know, it's like, we've got to let all, you know, we've got to let all the chain out, we've got to let it under, under control, we've got to deal with the fire and so forth. So anyway, Julie goes up, starts letting the anchor out, I dash inside. By that stage, she's already got the kids out of the boat and they're in the cockpit in the rain. Uh, I'm thinking that there's a fire burning on the engine and of course the engine's it's got this little like a, a hole that you push the fire extinguisher into and you can squirt it, right, without Ooh. having to okay. lift the stairs up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she's got the kids out. She's at the anchor. I run down to – the engine stopped. I run down to um, to see what I can do about this fire. 
And in the meantime, you know, we've still got 30 knots of wind blowing. And I'm thinking we're going to, that, that anchor didn't hold very well only an hour ago. Is it going to hold at all now? <laughs> so she's slowly letting the chain out. I went inside and I lifted the engine cover just slightly because I didn't want it to flare up if it was a fire that was that was on. And I realized at that point in time that it wasn't a fire. <laughs> and I was so glad that it wasn't. And what had happened was that the engine was overheating. Ah, uh, okay, okay. So the coolant line um, had burst, and there was water getting sprayed all over the engine, and which was obviously hot at that point in time, and it was steam coming out, not smoke. Okay. So, you know, it was hot. It, it felt hot. So I could understand why she thought it might have been a fire. So you had the steam and you had hot, you know. So I, at that point in time, I lifted the stairs up, realized what it was, and thought, okay, I can leave that. There's no fire. Uh, and we, I went back up top deck to help anchor the boat. I immediately launched the dinghy and put the engine on it and tied it to the side just in case the anchor was going to start dragging so I could at least try and power uh, you know, run run the dinghy to, to maneuver the boat and try and keep it in, into the wind. Um, by this stage, the squall line had passed. You know, the wind had changed direction, was now blowing the other way, and um, it was starting to get better. Um, and I thought, well, I better get an engine, try and get the engine ready if I can. So I cut the line shorter, reconnected the line that had burst, and replaced all the coolant with just fresh water um, so that way I knew that you know I had that happening um, and I was able to restart well I was able to move the engine by hand by pulling on the um, on the belt and rotating along the belt which meant that it wasn't seized right yeah and I just went and started the engine again and you know it was it, Obviously, some time had gone by. The engine had cooled a little bit. I'd put water in it and found that the engine was able to run. And I didn't want to run it for long. So what we did was we decided that, okay, I know that if the anchor drags, I can start the engine and we can reposition. I'm not going to run the engine. We'll wait for the wind to go. And we'll call the marina up and we'll get a tow into the marina. And, you know, so if we have to run our engine, we can. We'll get a tow into the marina. And we'll figure out what's gone on. So we called the, we called the marina up, and again, you know, the winds were still blowing all day um, that day. So whilst the squall line had gone through, we we're still getting about 15 knots of wind. So it was, you know, it's still reasonable to try and manoeuvre a boat without an engine. And we spoke to the marina staff there, and in this particular marina, they all spoke German, but not as many spoke English. So um, I phoned up the lady and she said, oh, yeah, um, yeah, I'll put you on to the, the, the harbour master. And the harbour master said, oh, yes, we can come out and we can give you a tow. Um, he says, how big are you? And sort of, you know, said, you know, it's 14-metre boat. He said, oh, it could be difficult. And I'm thinking, well, it's, it's not like it's a huge boat. Um they come out and they've got like a night. They've got the same, basically the same size engine that we've got on our dinghy, but theirs is on a rigid frame dinghy. And there's two guys come out, 
and um, one gets on the boat, you know, we talk about what we're going to do, and he says, oh, it's okay, it's okay, we'll, we'll do it. So, you know, just bring the anchor up. So so we got one guy, one Croatian guy on the, this is the actual harbour master, in the dinghy with a nine-horsepower engine, and he's got the line from the dinghy to the boat, the bow of the boat, and he's got it in his hand. He, again, he hasn't tied it off or anything. So... I'm going, oh, no, I've seen this happen before. <laughs> I was like, why? Why are you guys doing this? And I'm sort of like getting ready to start my engine just in case I have to. And, you know, at, at one point in time, we get the anchor up. And as soon as we get the anchor up, the boat goes sideways in the 15-knot wind. He's like holding, he's, he's standing, standing up in the dinghy, holding the line with one hand and wrestling the direction of the engine on the, the, the motor on the dinghy with, with his other hand, trying to pull the boat around into the wind. You know, it's a 46-foot, 10-ton boat. He manages to do it just finally. And I just, you know, I couldn't believe it. Just, I thought, why? He uh, does it. And, and we start coming up alongside next to the outer wall of the marina, which was not going to be the most comfortable wall but i can understand why they didn't take take want to take us inside because it was greater chance of damaging other boats and so forth and they come alongside the, the the wall and at that point in time the maneuvering sort of failed and i did have to start our engine and give them some assistance uh, and we finally tied up so at that point there was one time where we thought okay this is it like you know We've only been doing this for a month and we're going to end up on those rocks that we can see that are, again, you know, not far away on that island. And this is it. And we're just totally crazy because the very next day it was a beautiful sunny day and that area looked so peaceful. It was just so smooth and so peaceful. You could sort of like, you know, swim over there and, and the day before it was rough as and it was almost the disaster. So well, let me um, tell you, let me tell you my experience with, uh, with, uh, Poma, uh, or Palmer, excuse me. So I, I come around from Rovenjay or Rov, however you pronounce, but I say, I yeah, say yeah. Rovenjay and I go all the way down around the uh, tip. And as you look south from, from Polo or from Palmer, you'll see just around the tip as you come up, there's that. U-shaped inlet that's facing towards the uh, the northeast. There, I go in there and yeah. I anchor. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. there's about about uh, probably about eight or nine boats anchored in there. It's a nice protected little bay in there, and I drop it down. And I'm by myself, <clears throat> so it's quiet going to bed at night. There's a little breeze. Everybody was swinging about right. In the morning, the winds come up like crazy, and I'm on a lee shore. The winds coming right down that mouth of that uh, that bay. And I'm being yes. pushed back. And everybody else has got up and they're getting out of there as fast as they can. And fortunately, my, my, windlass start, my engine starts and I'm able to pull up my windlass and I get out of there. And then I go up to that marina and it's still blowing really hard. And I go in and, and uh, they say, I tell, tell them I need to come, come in. And I'm by myself. And they put me in that narrow slot up there because of the size of my boat. They think I can maneuver and I'm backing, trying to back my boat down there. And you know what my boat backs up like. It just does not back yeah, well, up. It, does, it doesn't back up. Yeah, yeah. 
It's sort of like you aim it at a particular direction and it's just not going to go there. That's right. That's right. It doesn't. <laughs> eventually, I bounce off enough boats and everybody's up there pushing them, pushing me away, and I get in there. But I did get in there by myself. And you're exactly like you say. I rent a car there and go up and pick my wife up who flies into Zagreb. But I leave my boat there, and the next day uh, it's a beautiful, calm bay. You wouldn't even notice it's there. But for some reason, I think that bay gets a lot more weather than you think it will just from your experience and my experience now so <laughs> yes yeah it, you, you look at it and you think ah oh, it's nice and protected and so forth but yeah but having said that there you know the marina veruda which is uh again not too far from there it's where we came from it's just on the other side of pula um that had um a water spout in it uh it was either last last summer or the summer or the winter before or something like that and it had gone through and it had damaged a lot of a lot of things in there and there's pictures of the of the water spout and it, it caused a bit of damage yeah i have a youtube oh. video up of a water spout two water spouts i saw when i was up uh, up farther north uh, that and those are the only two water spouts i've ever seen and there there are a lot of water spouts that go through that part of croatia because there's one island you go by that was destroyed by a water spout they say so, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. That's right. Um, I can't remember where that is, but I heard exactly the same thing. Yeah, you were reading the so, same book I was. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. The triple seven. Right? That's right. <laughs> yes, it's in there. Yeah. No, that's that's a bible for this region. It really is. And whilst we're on that topic, and this is a personally, so a personal question for me, is like, what what do you do for Greece? in relation to a triple seven. Oh, there's a bunch there's a pilot book. Uh, I can't remember who it's by, but you you we used it when we were on the boat. You, the same pilot uh, okay. book. It's it's one from Imre Imre has a pilot book for the rest of Mediterranean, but for Croatia it's uh seven 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 is is what you want. Yeah. Okay. Well yeah I I've seen the Imre uh, pilot book for, for Greece and it's the one that's sort of in my in my basket ready to purchase but I didn't didn't quite purchase it. I was going to ask you that question, but yeah, it's good to know. Um, yeah, so yeah, Poma, it was a really weird experience. And then the other thing that we found is this is the first time that, because of course we were expecting those winds to come in, and, and we got stuck in Poma because um, Poma, uh, the next time we came around, we went back to Poma and we got stuck in there for a, because of a borer. Before we experienced this this second light in Poma, once we, I put the engine, hey, that's right, so we're tied up, right, so I put new water into the coolant on the freshwater side, and I was trying to figure out why the engine overheated, and as it turned out, the um, the salt water line that, read in, that ran into the impeller, uh, the clip around it had actually cut through the line. And it was, and it was taking in air, sucking in air instead of water. So it was, it was, it was on enough so that there was no leak there. So there's no salt water leak. But there was this, this slight opening which was letting in air at that particular time or whatever the story was. Because obviously we'd had the same, this same connection ever since we left, ever since we bought the boat. Um, so it let air into the system. So the, the salt water was not cooling at the heat exchange on the fresh water. And 
at the coolant, and the coolant overheated and burst through the other line. So, you know, it just un under pressure, it burst through and let go. So I had, at that point in time, I changed the impeller because the impeller had been running hot and dry. And um, I reconnected that line at a different location. So, you know, the worm clip or the worm drive on it was so as to tighten that up. So then made sure that the, uh, the salt water was fine and we kept the water in the system and we were going to change it out for coolant at the end of the season. Uh, we also called a mechanic to come on board and check the engine, make sure that it was okay. And at, he came on board and he ran it for half an hour and he said, look, without taking it further and taking it under load, uh, that would be the only other thing I'd do. But he says, to me, it looks absolutely fine. He says, looks like there was no damage in any way. Just leave the water in there as is. Um, he says, the difference in the heat exchange might be two degrees between fresh water and having coolant in there. And it's not like you're going to have a freezing problem anytime soon, so you don't have to worry about that. So just change it out, flush it out when at the end of the season, um, which is exactly what I, what I ended up doing. So left the fresh water in there and we were fine. The engine was good and I was pretty happy about that. And what I did find was that later on again, this is after the season, I pulled the instrument panel off on the outside and where the alarm is for the engine overheat or, you know, for to tell you that the engine's hot, someone had soldered in a new alarm instead of replacing the existing alarm and they had put the alarm inside the panel. So you had the old alarm was still there, the little buzzer that makes the buzzing sound, right? And that was a much bigger unit, it had the perforations through the plastic. That was there, but that wasn't working. And behind that sat a much smaller um electric alarm or you know little piezo alarm and that's why i hadn't heard it because it's it's not really that loud particularly if it's raining hard and you've got a 30 knot wind blowing so that thing had actually been going off and i didn't even hear it huh yeah especially with your engine going and all the noise around you i mean wind can be terrifying the noise of wind around you can drown out yeah. anything so yeah, I can yeah. see that happening. So that's that's on the on my list for when I get back to Sicily uh, in January to to get that replaced. But um, so yeah, so we we then also decided when we were in Palma that we we're going to go and order a new anchor because the twenty four <clears throat> excuse me the twenty two kilogram anchor that was on there um, it was just a plow anchor. Um, it, it looked as though it was like a no-brand no name type anchor. Okay. And it was fairly inexpensive um, because we looked it up in, the, in some, of the, um, some of the shops that were there. And we felt that we would just need to replace that one. So we replaced it with a Rockner. Okay. And the, the only place that we could get a Rockner was Puller. So we then left, we left <laughs> Poma and we... You know, phoned the guy up in the shop in, in Pula and said, this is what we want. He said, I can get that in in two days. And we sailed up to to Pula 
this time we went into Pula instead of Marina Veruda, and we, we were right next to, well, very close to the Coliseum in the ACI Marina. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I walked across the road from the ACI Marina to the shop and uh, carried the anchor across back to the That's marina. a pretty damn heavy anchor to be carrying back to your boat. <laughs> yeah, I'll send you a picture of that as well. Um, yeah, and we, and we put that anchor and it went straight on, straight into the existing gear, which was great didn't have to modify anything because that's the other thing I was worried about. Um, and we've now got the old anchor on the boat as a spare, but uh, the Rockner's just not failed at any point in time. Even when anchoring in decent chop on a two-to-one scope, it's just amazing. Now, do you Absolutely think that would work in place of the CQR that I carried? Would that fit there or not? You know, you've been on my boat, and you know where my CQR is. Okay, so the biggest problem with the Rockner is it's got that roll bar. Oh, yeah. Um, so what they've done is that they've released uh, the Rockner without that bar to compensate for people with bow spritz that where it wouldn't tuck in underneath. So one of the Rockners will definitely work for you. Okay. Um, but they've, they've also got lots of guidance on on their website about uh, getting it in there. And of course the other one, the other type at the moment that seems to be pretty popular is the Mantis, um, which seems to have about similar holding power and slightly different setup. But yet the only thing I'd worry about on your boat is whether or not that bar is, whether the anchor is too high because of that bar, the roll bar yeah. on the top of the anchor. Yeah, and I see there's another one, like you say, that doesn't have that roll bar, so that. Yeah. And and that's why they developed that anchor. And as far as they're concerned, they don't think there's a lot of difference in the two anchors. Um, and I guess I'd sort of believe it based on their past credibility. But um, yeah, no, that's it's definitely the way to go. There was like Julia goes, that's it. <laughs> we're off buying the anchor and we're buying it now. You know, and the difference in price was the anchor that was on there was you could replace for about. 200 US mm-hmm. and and the Rockner was about 800 US. Okay, yeah, but that's cheap insurance if it works. That's the bottom line. Ah, oh, peace of mind, and if you're trying to anchor and out and sleep overnight on it, it's yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, Jack, we've got about another 45 minutes. I've got an appointment I got to get to, so we're going to cut it off there, and we're going to come back uh, next week, and we're going to do part three of your adventures this <laughs> summer. Okay. Right, not a problem. All right. Thanks, Jack. Hold on. I want to talk to you after I turn off the recorder. So thanks a lot. All right. All right. Thanks for listening. Get out there and go sailing. And if you have a chance, write me a note of any thoughts you may have, any suggestions for future people I should interview, comments. And if you're coming to Salt Lake, drop me a note. I want to get together with you. Franz1 at MedSailor.com. All right. Thanks for listening. Joe, you have something to tell me? No, I don't think so. I just got off the telephone with Bill Rutherford. Princeton can use a guy like Joe. What? Princeton can use a guy like Joe. His exact words. That's unbelievable. You're as good as in. I knew you could do it.
Haven't I been telling you? Every once in a while, you just got to say, what the heck? And take some chances. You are so right. You've made me very proud. I was just thinking. Where we might be ten years from now, you know? <laughs> Thank you.